0: Well, welcome to Building Sound Doctrine, lesson number two. We have entitled this lesson, What is Doctrine? One of the things we have to do is define what doctrine is before we can even really get into building sound doctrine. Otherwise, we might be building the wrong thing. We have a first verse here. Proverbs 4, 2 says, For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. When we talk about doctrine, we're talking about things, a a system of teaching That is based upon the law of God. Uh, I'm thankful that God's law is set, it's immutable, it's unchanging. That way, when we build doctrine, it's built upon something that's not moving, it's not shifting. The wonderful thing about our Bible is that it has not been changed or amended in 2,000 years since John the Revelator finished pinning his revelation in about the year I think it was about 98 AD. The Bible's not changed. Therefore, our doctrine should only be getting better, but we're maybe getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, Let's look at our, our curriculum here. It says, doctrine is a system of teaching whereby the learner is educated and benefited. So when we talk about doctrine, we're talking about a system of teaching, not just a system of believing, but a system of teaching. And this is a system of teaching whereby the learner or the student or the disciple is both educated and benefited. We have to be careful. If there's no benefit to our doctrine, we probably should uh, maybe leave it alone. If the doctrine's not benefiting our life, you may want to find better doctrine. Doctrine, and this is a critical part of our definition, doctrine is just as much how you live as it is what you believe. Uh, I can't emphasize this enough As a as a pastor and as a teacher. We often speak of doctrine in terms of what we believe, but truthfully, biblically speaking, In our definition, doctrine is just as much what you believe and and how it affects your living. It isn't just what you think in your mind. It isn't just what you prescribe to mentally. It's how you live. And so if you don't believe it enough to live it, you don't really believe it. And I always hit on prayer with that. I think every Christian would declare they have a doctrine of prayer. But if you're not praying on a regular basis, we we might really debate how much you believe in prayer. Doctrine is just as much how you live as it is what you believe. It can be said that how you live is what you really believe. How you live is really what you believe. And so part of our curriculum in writing all this, part of our purpose has been to help preachers and teachers and gospel ministers develop sound doctrine so the body of Christ can be helped. A lot of what the body of Christ is facing today is betrayal from the pulpit and the pastors and preachers are not delivering pure doctrine as Proverbs 4.2 says. Good doctrine based upon the law of God. It's a bunch of whims. It's a bunch of feel-goodism. It's a bunch of emotionalism. You can grow a big church when you make everybody feel great every service. Or you can be like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not make people feel good every service. A preacher's number one job is to teach, preach, and live sound doctrine. So review real quick. What is doctrine? It's a system of teaching whereby the learner is both educated and benefited and doctrine is as much what you live and how you live as it is what you believe let me throw this out there that when it comes to doctrine there are all sorts of doctrines there's doctrines of men there's doctrines of devils there's uh, political doctrines there's pagan doctrines we want to make sure that our doctrines are based on the bible You can go into a pagan city full of pagans and watch every one of those pagans live doctrine. Their doctrine is not Bible doctrine. Their doctrine is pagan doctrine. The homosexual lives by homosexual doctrine. The evolutionary biologist lives by evolutionary doctrine. And just because you believe it doesn't mean you're living it. You and I both understand homosexual doctrine. We understand evolutionary doctrine, but it's not our doctrine because we don't live according to it. That's a good thing. The second you live according to homosexual doctrine, you are a homosexual. But in the same time, or in, uh, on the same coin, the other side of the coin is, just because you believe or understand Christian doctrine doesn't mean you're living it. And Christian doctrine does not benefit you at all if you're not living it. It just becomes more head knowledge. Daniel prophesied about the day we live in. He said, knowledge would abound. That includes knowledge of doctrine. I cannot emphasize enough to you that you must do more than believe the Bible, you must live the Bible. If your doctrine's not living or worth living it, uh, you need to find better doctrine. So look at first Timothy four sixteen. It says, Take heed unto yourself. So speaking to the gospel minister, but really any Christian, take heed to yourself first and foremost, and unto the doctrine. So notice there's two things as believers and as ministers we need to take heed to. Number one, ourself number two our doctrine your doctrine is going to affect yourself and yourself if you're healthy you're going to want sound doctrine these two are interchanged they're intertwined they're inexplicably linked you cannot separate them you are defined by your doctrine and your doctrine defines you therefore paul told young timothy take heed watch yourself observe yourself continue in them in what in sound doctrine continue in taking heed to yourself and sound doctrine For in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. If you have bad doctrine, you're not going to save anybody. You're going to curse a lot of people. The gospel minister must take care of himself and his doctrine. To neglect either is to damn the listener. If you neglect yourself as a minister, as a leader, you will condemn and damn and curse and hurt those that look to you. You can either be a gospel preacher or you can be a false teacher, but you can't be both. And that is why we must be careful about our doctrine. That's why we've written these lessons in this curriculum. The gospel preacher must build doctrine from God's Word. We don't build doctrine on anything else. It's very tempting to build doctrine on personal experience or grandma's experience. And there's nothing wrong with evaluating experiences, but all experiences must be evaluated and judged in line with the Bible. The Bible is what we build sound doctrine from. If we build sound doctrine based on experiences, it's going to be squirrely because there is a God of this world that help, can help control and frame our personal experiences. The gospel preacher must build doctrine from God's word. I remember years ago, a dear friend of mine, his sister was murdered in one of our local... Uh, we had like a, um, a serial killer going on in Nashville, Tennessee about 20, 22 years ago. And he was called the fast food killer. And he would go into fast, foods, fast food restaurants after closing. He would rob them and then murder everybody in there. And I, I want to say there were seven, eight, nine, maybe ten people killed at all these different fast food restaurants there in the mid-90s. And one of the girls that was killed, she worked at Captain D's, I believe it was. That was one of my friend's sister. Very tragic, very horrific uh, she was shot execution style in the head on her knees in the freezer at Captain D's. Her and the manager. They have since executed that man, the murderer. Uh, thank God for the uh, death penalty. But my friend, who is a Christian and and was born again at the time and raised in a good denomination, his parents were so distraught. Uh, they wanted evidence and proof that their daughter went to heaven. She was just 16, and. The night of the funeral, they the mother reported a hoot owl, a hoot owl, I guess that's a kid's term, an owl outside her window hooting, hoo, 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 all night long that she couldn't sleep. And that really perturbed her. And so she began doing research, and I don't know how she did it. The internet was just getting started really in 95, 96, 97. But she later found out that to the Native American, to the indigenous people of North America, the hudowl is a sign, uh, is a guardian and a guide for the departed to the afterlife. All right. Think about that. Here's a Christian woman who's, who's distraught because her daughter's been murdered, execution style, as, as a 16-year-old girl in a horrible murder. And she's desperate, but she is going to build doctrine and find confidence, peace, and assurance on the happenstance of a hood owl outside her window the night of her daughter's funeral. And she's going to look to the Native American pagan religions to find comfort. And that became a doctrine for her. That I know, she said, this is her doctrine, I know my daughter's in heaven because a hood owl was outside my window. That was her experience. And she was able to back it up with a little bit of research from Native American culture And therefore, she intertwined or intermixed paganism with Christianity. She assumed uh, her daughter was in the presence of Jesus Christ, her Savior, based on a Native American belief. That is horrible doctrine. Horrible doctrine. Now, we don't begrudge the woman her mourning. And again, this has been 20 years ago. We don't begrudge the pain that they went through. But this is just an example of how you do not build doctrine and you do not build doctrine on personal experience. Amen and amen. Any outside source will only contribute impurities and corruption to the doctrines of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. We need to hear that any outside source other than the Bible will only contribute impurities and corruption to the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Dangerous sources of doctrinal impurities include the following secular reasoning and philosophies. This is why a lot of Christian children go off to college and curse God and go to hell because they get exposed to all sorts of weird pagan secular reasoning and philosophies and they want to mix that like Plato into their faith in Jesus Christ and all it does is kill their faith. We do not look for input from cultures and traditions. One of the purposes of the New Testament gospel doctrine is to upend and destroy pagan cultures. Even as Americans, a lot of our culture now is very pagan. It's very godless. Here in the upper Cumberland, we're always dealing and trying to reset and adjust the culture of our region. Our regional culture is poor. It's poverty. Our regional culture is religious, not good religious, bad religious. Our regional culture is laziness. Our regional culture is pride. These are not good things to add to the gospel. These are things the gospel comes to eradicate. We don't build doctrine on opinion. If you say, well, I believe, and you don't add because the Bible says, then all you have is opinion and we don't really care about your opinion. God doesn't care about your opinion. God cares about what his Bible says. The Bible says, let God be true in every man, a liar. Therefore, the best way we can have a a sound opinion statement is by repeating what the Bible says and say, I believe this because the Bible says so. I believe such and so because because there's 15 verses that say it. Experiences. We don't build doctrinal experiences as we've just related. All experiences must be judged by the Word of God. We certainly don't build doctrine on other religious books or holy books, so-called holy books. They're not holy, they're damnable. They're doctrines of demons. We don't mix the Bible with other books uh, not the Koran, not the Book of Moron or Mormon. We don't mix our doctrine with this goofiness. It's pagan doctrine. And the commandments of men. The Bible says that uh, you can make the word of God of, of none effect through the commandments of men. So we, we build doctrine. We build this system of teaching. We build this lifestyle on the Bible, the holy written scriptures. All sound doctrine is built from the Bible. If you want your doctrine to sound like the Bible, build it from the Bible's 31,102 verses. You have 31,102 verses in the Bible. That's plenty of material from which to build your doctrine. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. All Scripture is given is God-breathed by God. And being God-breathed It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. The reason Christians want to build doctrine on experiences is that experiences are always past. They always happen naturally, and they didn't take any study. To be a better Bible scholar, to be a better Bible minister, you actually have to do work in the now, study the scriptures and begin to build doctrine from 31,102 verses. To build doctrine on experience is lazy and easy and unbiblical. To build doctrine from the Bible makes you a workman. And that's why a lot of Christians don't want to do it. That's why a lot of Christians will quote their preacher or their pastor more than they'll quote the Bible. Because the preacher's done all the work And uh, the the Christian doesn't have to do any on their own, or so they think. The New Testament mentions doctrine 45 times. So we're going to go through a list. It's not the 45 verses or references to doctrine, but we're going to read through a quick list of of some scriptures that help build us the doctrine of doctrine. Here are many truths concerning sound Bible doctrine. And so you have the list there in your curriculum. I'm not going to give you the address from which we pulled these facts, But I want to give you the statement so you can hear me speak. Men can pass their commandments off as doctrine. So that again proves that doctrine isn't just limited to the Bible. There's men's doctrines. We want to make sure we have Bible doctrine. The Bible doctrine is called the Apostles' Doctrine. We want to make sure we study out what the apostles taught and believe from the book of Acts and from the epistles. Bible doctrine is contagious, and it should fill our cities. Actually, Bible doctrine used to fill almost every city in America. And now the pagans and the academics and the politicians are working hand over fist to eradicate all Bible doctrine from the schools, from the courthouses, from city council halls, from capitol buildings. Our nation is falling apart, and we don't realize we're the one that's destroying it. Our ship is sinking and we don't realize we're the ones screwing holes in the bottom of the boat. The Bible doctrine is called the Lord's doctrine. The gospel doctrine must be obeyed. That's something about doctrine. It's not just to be believed. Bible doctrine must be obeyed. Sound doctrine will cause divisions and offenses, therefore don't change it to make friends. This is probably one of the greatest sins of the modern preacher. Romans says that sound doctrine will cause Uh, offenses and divisions. And because the preacher has learned that firsthand, he will often illegally adjust and tweak Bible doctrine so he's no longer offensive or divisive. If you're a preacher, I want you to hear me. If you do your job right, you're going to offend people and you're going to divide people because that's what the Bible's doing. It's not you're doing, preacher, it's the Word's doing. And you don't have permission from Jesus Christ to adjust his word to make yourself more popular. If you're in this to be popular, you're a hireling and a heretic. Quit now and save your soul. But if you're in this to glorify Jesus Christ, be prepared to upset people and make enemies. My pastor has a quote I like. I think he got it from his pastor. He says, as a preacher, if you live long enough and you serve Jesus, you're going to build two armies. The first army will gladly follow you to heaven. The second army wants you to hurry up and go to heaven today. And, of course, that is a reference to the enemies you make by preaching the gospel. Our next point. Every Christian should be studying the Bible and developing doctrine. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. There are many winds of doctrine in the earth. They blow through and move the weak Christians off course. This is why we have to develop our own doctrine. System of teaching, our own doctrine, our own faith, even as Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not just the preacher's job to develop sound doctrine and teach it to you. It's your own job as a Christian to study your Bible and know what you believe and systematically develop doctrine based on the scriptures. Develop your own system of teaching that benefits and educates you and gives you a way to live your life. The fivefold minister is established in order to anchor the body of Christ with sound doctrine there's all kinds of doctrines out there you need sound doctrine sound doctrine teaches us how to live holy if you're going to a church that isn't teaching you how to live holy you need to find a better church because sound bible doctrine will always put forth holiness there are doctrines of devils so there again not all doctrine is based on the bible some doctrines based on the pit of hell and it's based on familiar spirits and these often feel really really good The book of Jude says that in the last days one of the greatest heresies being taught in the church will be hyper grace or what Jude calls the changing of grace into lasciviousness. And we're watching that. That's a doctrine of devils. It's a perversion of true biblical grace. Good doctrine requires a labor. And so for you to be a biblical student and a student of sound doctrine is going to take work. Christians in the modern age are very lazy when it comes to Bible study. Most Christians today, I would say, easily spend more time on Facebook than they do God's book. And in my humble opinion, Facebook is nothing but middle school for immature adults. And most Christians, I'd probably say 90 percent of the body of Christ on Facebook is not mature enough to be on social media. Sound doctrine will produce godliness in the people. That's First Timothy 6:3. Sound doctrine produces godliness. And the more godly you are, the more sound your doctrine is. And the more sound your doctrine is, the more godly you'll live. The minister's reputation reveals his real doctrine. It's not what you say you believe that matters. It's what you believe enough to live. A.W. Tozer had a famous quote. Let me see if I can get it right. He said that the preacher believes it, but he does not teach it. And what you don't believe enough to teach doesn't do you any good anyway. We might could amend that famous quote from Tozer and say, you believe it, but you don't live it. And what you don't live doesn't do you any good anyway. So preacher, hear me. Your reputation is revealed by your doctrine. And if you believe something, but you're not teaching your congregation what you believe, you don't really believe it. It's not what you say you believe that matters. It's what you believe enough to live and teach that really matters. Sound doctrine is built from the scriptures. Sound doctrine reproves, rebukes, and exhorts. Hear that? You can tell sound doctrine is going forth when it hits you sometimes it spanks you sometimes it chastises you sometimes it rubs you raw sometimes that's when you know it's good doctrine. Sound doctrine is weighty and produces a burden of responsibility. If you go to one of these like fluffy you know tutu churches where the doctrine doesn't produce a burden of responsibility on you and it's always how to have your best Thursday ever and it's always about how to get the free cup of cappuccino and how to feel good about yourself, you're being lied to. And you should abandon that church and find some place that honors God. The funny thing is those familiar spirits in that church won't let you abandon that because you don't feel released and you don't feel, I just feel like I'm still called here, what, to shrivel up and die on the vine? No, God wants you to be fed. Sound doctrine must be publicly spoken, not privately believed. Sound doctrine can be corrupted. Sound doctrine is serious and genuine, not silly and gimmick oriented. Boy, that indicts about 80% of the American church this whole seeker friendly church thing is it's they've traded sound bible teaching and sound bible doctrine for gimmicks it's almost like when you go to sporting events and tonight's free baseball bat night and next week is free baseball hat night and or if you go to the hockey game and every friday night is free hockey puck night these are gimmicks to get people in the doors (laughs) doctrine is all that should be required for hungry christians on top of that they cut the the, the, the meetings down to 20 and 30 minutes because Christians just don't love God or His Word or His presence anymore. It's gimmick related. I heard a new term that I love. They said the, the Seeker Friendly Church has become six flags over Jesus. And unfortunately, that's pretty true. Sound doctrine is serious and genuine. It's not silly and gimmick oriented. There are six principles to the doctrine of Christ. Most preachers don't know or teach any of them. Number one, repentance from dead works. The Bible says in Hebrews six one that that is the foundational principle of the doctrine of Christ. Repentance from dead works. You don't ever hear about repentance much anymore. Number two, faithfulness toward God. It's evident when churches don't have enough people to even have a Sunday night service anymore that faithfulness toward God is not taught anymore. Number three, doctrine of baptisms. There's I count four New Testament doctrine or uh, four New Testament baptisms. Some might say the fifth one. You have John's baptism, baptism into the body of Christ, water baptism, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and baptism into the trial of afflictions. That's your fifth one. I count four, but you could split it. Number four, the fourth doctrine, the principal doctrine of the New Testament is the laying on of hands. Most churches today don't even know what to do with their hands. You you do good to get them to lift their hands in praise and worship, but there's a biblical doctrine of the laying on of hands. You could easily make a six-month Bible study if your church is hungry enough on just the doctrine on the laying on of hands. And if you were to teach it, you might actually see God start to do something through that doctrine. Resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. The sixth principle is eternal judgment. You don't hear anything taught about judgment anymore. But let me just take this little second, this motivational moment to say there is an eternal judgment coming. And once you die, you'll either go to hell or you'll go to heaven and it's totally based on your relationship with Jesus Christ and many shall say to the lord in that day have we not prophesied in your name and cast out devils and in your name done many mighty works and Jesus Christ will tell a whole bunch of people who claim to be christians and charismatic depart from me i never knew you in that day the day of eternal judgment couple few points here there are diverse and strange doctrines which is why we have to have sound bible doctrine these must be avoided We must abide in the doctrine of Christ and teach others to do so as well. Just because you have the doctrine in your mind doesn't mean you abide in that doctrine. This proves we are born again. When we abide in the doctrine of Christ and we teach others, this proves we are truly born again. You want a proof that you're born again? You continue to abide in the doctrine of Christ and you actually believe it enough to begin to teach others to do the same. We cannot fellowship with those lacking the doctrine of Christ. I don't know how churches get around that verse there in Second John 1.10, but you, we don't have permission to fellowship or have best friendships with those that lack the doctrine of Christ. There's a lot of ecumenical movements going on right now. Ecumenical is a term for trying to combine all faiths. It's very difficult to have fellowship with churches that mock the Holy Ghost. It's very difficult to have fellowship with churches that deny the deity of Jesus Christ and the exclus- uh, exclusivity of salvation in His name. In fact, 2 John 1.10 forbids it. Sin has a doctrine such as Balaam's doctrine and the Nicolaitan doctrine. So we want to make sure we have the doctrine of Jesus Christ. So how do we build sound doctrine? Let's look at our next point here. Building sound doctrine will require the minister to study, study, study. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Now the word study there, to be fair, is not our modern understanding of the word study. When you and I say the word study, we think about cracking open the books and rehearsing facts, numbers, studying a language, memorization. But this word study here, it is an English word. It's the old King James word. But what this word really means is to be diligent, diligent and hastening. And that evolved into, what do I do with school? I am diligent and I hasten in school. And we developed this term, this new word that we, you and I understand in modern English as study. If you were to look at this verse in other translations like the New American Standard or the NIV version, they're not going to use the word study. They're going to use the word di- show yourself to be diligent or hasten. We're going to still apply the word study in our modern understanding because it fits. That we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Notice that this diligence that shows us to be workmen still involves the word of truth. How do we build sound doctrine? We have to apply ourselves diligently to God's holy word. If you don't study, you'll be ashamed before God and his people. Sometimes people ask me how I know so much Bible They ask me how I can remember so much. Part of it is I'm called to be a teacher, and so there's a natural, or I should say a supernatural gifting there. I even taught classes when I was at the university, and that gift began to manifest even teaching natural sciences. So that's part of it, so that might be an unfair advantage. I have a pretty good mind. My mind is able to retain information typically upon first hearing, and I can retain it for a long time. If I don't refresh it, it will fade away. I don't remember everything I got A's on in the university but I can retain a big portion of it so that might be an unfair advantage it's just one of the things God's given me but the only other thing I can say is that I've been studying the Bible since 1995 and see at the time of that this recording that's 22 years 22 years of studying the same book you're gonna know the book pretty well if you don't study the book though you should be ashamed of yourself You've been given a handbook to life, and if you don't study it, you're going to fail. And if you fail, you've got nobody to blame for yourself. You can't blame your pastor, your preacher, your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents. It's your fault because you've been given the Holy Spirit and the Bible. Therefore, you must study the Bible yourself. Page 7 in our curriculum, our next section says, Doctrines, multifaceted gems. This is an understanding or an allegory the Lord gave me in Uganda on a mission trip many years ago. When I teach this publicly, I typically teach it with a giant glass diamond because it helps to communicate the image. But as our lesson says here, every biblical doctrine is a beautiful, multifaceted gem. Each facet or scripture of the gem, here the gem is the doctrine, is critical to defining the gem and producing the radiance that reflects God's glory. So if we take the gem or the doctrine, let's say, of divine healing. Well, healing is a beautiful gem, like a diamond. But there are so many verses. In fact, you can find healing in every book of the Bible. All 66 books of the Bible have some kind of verse or passage dealing with healing, some a lot more than others. You take all those passages, all those verses, and that helps to produce the facets and the doctrine that is healing. And so the more verses you can find, the more verses you can develop, or I shouldn't say develop, but discover, and put together and frame together, the more complete, the more understanding you'll have concerning a doctrine. In terms of hermeneutics, this is called a theological study. When you take a subject and you find out everything the Bible has to say on that subject, that's called a theological study or a theological analysis in the school of hermeneutics or the subject of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics means a Bible interpretation. Here, we're just going to call it the the gem of doctrine or the doctrinal gem. To completely understand a biblical subject and to build sound doctrine, you must evaluate as many verses as possible pertaining to that subject. If we were to deal with homiletics, which is the art of preaching, there's three types of homiletics, three types of sermons that can be delivered. One of them is a topical sermon. A topical sermon is a sermon that you preach on one topic and you use as many verses as the Holy Spirit wants you to to deliver that sermon. That's the same thing we're saying here, but with a diamond uh, allegory or analogy. Our diamond or our topic is whatever the subject is and we take as many verses as we can find and that helps us frame and model and show the extreme limits of a doctrine. One other thing we might add is that no doctrine is infinite. Only God is infinite. Every doctrine of the Bible has limitations. Salvation is for all, but there's a narrow gate with which to find salvation. Healing is for all. It's purchased by Jesus Christ, but it's awarded through faith. Grace is for all, but grace comes through humility. So even grace is not an infinite doctrine. It is given to you when you humble yourself. Grace is available to everyone, but not everyone will have it because not everyone will be humble. Deuteronomy 19, 15, verse uh, B, part B of that 15th verse says, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. All right, this helps to build this principle of doctrine building. This is what I called the law of witnesses. This verse here in Deuteronomy 19, 15. This law of witnesses says before you can establish any matter, you need no less than two, preferably at least three witnesses, three voices saying the same thing before we can establish a matter. What this is saying for us, this is a legal verse. This has to do with legal and civil law in the terms of Mosaic law. But this also helps us build doctrine as the New Testament proves out. But what this verse is saying is, before I can establish a doctrine, I've got to have at least two verses. Just like mathematics teaches us that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, you cannot have direction or length without two points. You cannot build a doctrine on one verse. You are barely beginning to build a doctrine with two verses. If you have a third verse, now you can formulate and triangulate a triangle. And now you've got volume, or excuse me, I should say area. So you're beginning to do better. But if you can get five and six and seven and eight verses, or seven and eight data points, if we're going to use a mathematical term, now we begin to create a a geometry, a geodesic design that not only has area, but volume, and it has perimeters. So this is called, this is what I call, I don't know if theologians call it this, this is what I call the law of witnesses. This verse is quoted in Numbers, Matthew, John, 2 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, and Hebrews. These verses teach us that we can't base doctrine on only one verse. If we're going to build doctrine, we have to have as many verses as we can possibly dig out of the word. We must have the witness of at least two or three verses to establish any word or doctrine. We are to build doctrinal premises based upon text. Now here's the cool thing about this law of of, uh, witnesses. The law of witnesses says you need two or three. This law obeys itself. This law is quoted twice in the Old Testament, twice in the Gospels, and three times in the Epistles. The Bible can be roughly broken down into the Old Testament, the Gospels, which are transitional, and the Epistles. And this law is quoted five times, actually six times. Deuteronomy, Numbers, Matthew, John, 2 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, and Hebrews. That's seven times. So the law of witnesses actually obeys itself. We must build doctrinal premises based upon text. But too often, many doctrines can be described as a premise in search of a text. And here's what we have to do, church. We have to be willing to let our doctrine be changed if other Bible verses that we've never found or discovered all of a sudden come to light and they challenge what we believe. If this was a scientific thing, you would have to adjust your hypothesis to accommodate the new evidence, the new scientific data. If you exclude scriptures because you're determined to believe what you believe and you're ignoring scriptures, you are denying Jesus Christ's word. You have to be open in your faith and open in your heart to allowing the scriptures to interpret the scriptures, that's called hermeneutics, and to further polish and tweak your doctrine. It's very easy when you get stale to only focus on one set of verses and totally ignore everything else that's out there. There's no such thing as a person who has perfect doctrine. All of our doctrine is still being polished and perfected. So let's look at some examples of doctrine building. Communion. There are seven New Testament passages totaling 35 verses. And then there are numerous Old Testament allusions. And so from these 35 verses, and actually most of them are in the Gospels at the Lord's uh, Last Supper, we have a doctrine called communion. There's only one verse on communion or one passage outside of the Gospels, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And yet every church, every Christian church, uses communion as a spiritual rite. We have water baptism. Seven New Testament passages totaling 16 verses. Notice there's less verses on water baptism than there is on communion. And there's no Old Testament examples of New Testament water baptism. You could talk about Naaman's dipping in the uh, River Jordan, of course, and then there are the ceremonial washings for the priests, but nothing that's of the same caliber as New Testament water baptism. 16 verses on the New Testament, that's all we've got. Then we have the, but that's from those 16 verses, which is a lot better than two or three. We build the doctrine of uh, water baptism. Then we have the doctrine of tongues. There's one Old Testament passage with two verses. Actually, it's probably more like six. And then there's 14 New Testament passages totaling over 100 verses. So we have over 100 verses on the subject of tongues. And from those 100 plus verses, we can build an even more full, a more accurate doctrine on tongues than we can water baptism or communion now isn't it interesting we have more verses on tongues than we do communion and water baptism combined no church will debate the validity of water baptism or communion but only a sliver of the body of Christ believes in tongues and yet you have over a hundred verses that help build the doctrine what that is an example of is willful spiritual blindness a heart that is determined there's no such thing as tongues or the baptism of the Holy Ghost, even though there's over 100 verses that back it up. And I wonder if maybe perhaps the devil has a role to play in that because if tongues is real and if tongues is for today and if tongues is part of the Holy Ghost, sure, the devil doesn't want the church to have it and he'll use uh, doctrinal and spiritual ignorance to promote that lie. Occasionally you will encounter what theologians call scriptural tensions. That is, verses that seem to contradict. And if you're a pagan or a half-breed pseudo-agnostic who was raised in church but you're angry and you want to find a reason not to believe in God, you can remain ignorant still. Or you can actually study the Bible and figure out what the Bible is really saying and realize that there is no contradictions in the Scriptures. Sound doctrine will seek to explain these tensions We know the Bible does not contradict itself, so these tensions can be likened to opposite facets of the same gemstone. So just like gemstones, your diamond, your your traditionally thought of diamond, the round diamond, the traditional cut, you have a facet on the lower bottom, which is called the pavilion, and there's an opposite facet on what's called the crown that mirror each other. They're parallel almost in symmetry, but they're opposite, But one is the the lower left extent of the diamond and one is the upper right-hand extent of the diamond. You have scriptures that are the extents and boundaries of doctrines and though they seem to be contradictory, they are not contradicting themselves. They're showing opposite perimeters of a boundary. Think about a fence on a square piece of property. One fence says you can't go any further to the left or east. The other fence says you can't go any further to the right or the west. They're not contradicting each other. They're helping to bind and delineate a piece of property. They are part of the same boundary. They are part of the same property, but they stand opposite each other to show you lateral extents. Same with scriptures. Same with doctrine. Our first example is judge not. Boy, if that isn't the dirty Christian and the seeker-friendly Christian's favorite verse. Matthew 7, judge not. Except that, that's the only time the Bible teaches that. It's quoted in three of the Gospels, judge not. But even that passage on judge not goes on in three verses to teach you how to accurately judge. It says, who are you to point out the splinter in your brother's eye when you haven't removed the the mote or the beam out of your own eye? He said, first, remove the, the beam out of your own eye, which takes accurate judgment to recognize you have a beam, and then to accurately remove it. It says, then you can go and take your splinter out of your brother's eye. So the verse, the passage starts off by saying, judge not. But within three verses, it's telling you, authorizing you, and teaching you how to judge your brother and actually take the splinter out of his own eye. And then the next verse after that, I believe it's verse five, says, and cast not that which is holy. Cast not your pearls before swine. So it Jesus goes on to teach you how to judge two things. Number one, what is holy and what is a pearl? And number two, who the pigs are in your life. So one verse seems to say, judge not. And then yet 1 Corinthians 2.15 says you're to judge all things. They're not contradictory. They're building the sound doctrine that is biblical judgment. How about uh, the second point? Love versus hate. The Bible says that we're to love all brethren, love the men. Love the body of Christ. And yet Psalms 139 says that you can hate those that hate God. There's biblical permission to hate. Uh, The the modern church is all about this hippy-dippy love. But the Bible teaches hatred too. God hates things. The beginning of the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. How about goodness versus severity? Romans 11 says, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. What about mercy versus judgment? God is merciful, but he's also the righteous judge. See, these are opposite extents of the same doctrine. But they show you that God is both merciful and judgmental. He's both good and severe. God both loves and God hates. God judges all things, and yet God teaches us to have mercy and to cover sin from time to time. Covet not. That's one of the Ten Commandments, if you didn't know. And yet the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, to covet earnestly. So we see these are not contradictions these might be at best called scriptural tensions but they are showing us the lateral extent from one side of a doctrine to the other. The Trinity this is probably one of the greatest of all doctrinal tensions. The God of the Bible has declared thou shalt have no other gods before me. The Lord God himself said is there a God beside me? Yea there is no God I know not any. Sorry Mormons. there's not but one God. The Mormon doctrine says that there's been multiple gods and the God of Jesus Christ just happens to be the God over this planet. And if a Mormon is a good enough Mormon, he'll get to go be a God over his own planet one day with his wife who will be the spiritual mama who he'll impregnate and she'll populate the planet. That's just lunacy. That's like Scientology and L. Ron Hubbardism. There's only one God. That's Jehovah who gave of his son Jesus Christ. And even he said, is there any other God beside me? No, I don't know of any. Yet the Bible clearly uh, clearly describes God as one God. Deuteronomy says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. So a tension arises because the Bible also clearly ascribes deity to three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This seeming contradiction demands an answer to the following question. How can God be one yet three? And that is where the doctrine of the Trinity arises. They are but one God. Yet three distinct persons, yet one God. And any, any allegory, any analogy used in, in some merit will become heresy. Whether it's uh, water in solid liquid and gas, that's called modalism. That's a heresy. Or if you use the three-leaf clover like uh, St. Patrick did, that's partialism. That's heresy. It's, it's a mystery. It is the Trinity. It is God. The minister of the gospel must know the word of God and know it for themselves. 2 Corinthians 4, 2 says, But having renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Notice there, preacher. If you're not careful, you could very easily fall into handling the word of God deceitfully. Christian television has, ma- has mastered handling the word of God deceitfully to the fact that most of your Christian television channels are billion dollar industries that do nothing but pimp and prostitute the doctrinally ignorant and the third world church i purposely i personally believe most christian television is cursed of god and it is familiar spirits prospering them because the way those hirelings and those heretics manipulate the word of god to manipulate god's precious people god's not endorsing that I, I truthfully am very disgusted with all Christian television. There is a sliver, a slight percentage of television ministers on Christian television that are holy and upright, and the rest of them can just go away, in my opinion. We've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You know, when you're a preacher, and you've used your television ministry to sell your book. And you've used the offering to get a his and her Bentley. You have violated this verse because you're not committing yourself to every man's conscience in the sight of God. When even the rich pagan looks at you and says, you are too rich. And you've done it off the God's back, of, back of God's people. You, you have violated Second Corinthians 4. 2. You have handled the word of God deceitfully. And you've made yourself rich. You may be the rich man who dies and goes to hell and looks at the poor beggar. And realizes you in your life, you had it good. And you did nothing with the gospel but make yourself rich. Why gain the world and lose your soul and lose your family? Ignorance of the scriptures and Bible doctrine will lend itself to deceitful use of the word and deceitful misuse by false teachers. The only cure for false doctrine is sound doctrine. We must, as preachers, we must, as laity and believers, develop sound doctrine through our own Christian walk and our own personal Bible study. If you as laity, if you as a non-minister will have sound doctrine, you'll never be deceived by the preacher. Not that every preacher wants to deceive you, but many do. Many preachers today want to deceive you. The Bible talks about false apostles, false prophets, false teachers, false pastors. They're a dime a dozen anymore, and most of them are growing mega churches. Final thoughts. Sound doctrine will afford balanced feeding for God's sheep. When you have sound doctrine, you can't just teach on grace every week for 16 years. That's not balanced. That's weird. Grace, the whole grace message may be one of the greatest subtle heresies of our time. You can't only emphasize one doctrine. Too many ministers have a pet doctrine they overemphasize because they're too lazy to study the Bible and get anything else out of it. Avoid this hurtful habit of having pet doctrines. God's people need a balanced diet. You know, some people, all they want to emphasize is creationism. That's great, but there's a lot more in the Bible than creationism. Some people only want to emphasize healing. That's great, but the Bible teaches a lot more than just healing. Some churches emphasize salvation, every service. That's great, but once folks get saved, you've got to do something else with them. Get off your pet doctrine and feed God's people a balanced diet. You can have what you preach, and you will. Adjust your message and your discourses to fix current problems and deficiencies and sins. And adjust your messages and discourses to steer the church in the direction they must go as a ministry. Doctrine is so critical, we've even written a little book on it to encourage believers and preachers around the world. We called it Building Sound Doctrine, same title as this lesson. We need sound doctrine more than we perhaps need anything else right now in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is very ignorant because the body of Christ is lazy. We want things done for us and we don't want to do it because it takes too much time. We'd rather just lay down and surf our phone six inches at a time and see what people are doing on Facebook. If that's you, grow up and become useful to the body of Christ, please. Nobody cares about your private life and nobody cares what you're doing with your kids. Nobody cares what you had for dinner or where you went on vacation. Contribute your life back to the body of Christ and quit being a middle school adult on social media. Study the Bible to show yourself approved. Social media doesn't approve you of anything. All right, that's enough of that. Let's bow our heads here and pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study the Bible and to be students of your word. Help us to build sound doctrine for your glory. I pray that every person that listens to these lessons in the future on our pod school would be motivated, convicted, and challenged to become students of your word so they are not deceived by false doctrine. Help us, Lord, to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.